0: Segabits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things Sega, with your hosts George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the here. So what?
1: No. Welcome to Sega Talk, episode number twenty-six. As you guys know, the Sega Genesis Mini just came out, or came out a few days ago. If you're in North America, in October, if you're in the UK. So save this episode for when it comes out. Or just watching that, now, who yeah. cares? We're not really going to talk about the mini. Um, but we did pick one of the games in the mini collection. We decided to do a Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse, which makes this episode the longest title episode because it's so long Jeez. of a title. Um, I love that they had to add Mickey Mouse, right? Because that's what sells. But um, this podcast is obviously on itunes spotify google podcast and if you want to support us you could do it on patreon.com segabits and if you want to watch the video version uh head over to our youtube channel at youtube.com segabits and you can subscribe there too as well but it's probably better to watch the, (laughs) the the audio version i think so Let's start off the podcast like we always do. Let's talk about our history with Castle of Illusions. And I know you have a big, I guess, past with Mickey stuff. I know your dad mm. loves Donald Duck and he collects yeah. Donald Duck. And that's probably where you got your collecting uh, bug, right?
0: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I have, I own a few things, right? You can kind of see a few of <laughs> them behind me. Um, but yeah, uh, when I was a kid, my dad... Well, my dad's been collecting like Disney stuff. They call it do you know what Disney collectibles are called? I have no idea. I have
1: a, I have a cousin that collects Disney stuff, and she's never told me, so...
0: Disney Anna. D-I-S-N-E-Y-A-N-A. Like paraphernalia, you know, like that. But it's Disney Anna. Wow, I did know that. Um, yeah, and so he, he collects... He likes, like, the old theme park stuff. He likes Pinocchio, but really... He likes Donald Duck. He's not a big Mickey Mouse guy, but, you know, he likes the shorts and he likes, um, not like Mickey's shorts, but like the short cartoons, things like that. But yeah, I grew up in a household where there was a lot of Disney things. My dad was in a, uh, he still is in a Disney collector's club called, I think at the time it was called the National Fantasy Fan Club, but it's now called the Disney Anna Collectors Club or something like that and uh minnesota chapter star of the north it was called and they would meet once a month and it would just be like disney collectors and they would have like little presentations um it's kind of like you know what they do now at like um fan conventions you know where like you have a guy who talks for one hour about rare you know mexican imports or Uh, something like that you know like uh, Brazilian Master System. And so this would be like a guy would come in, he would talk about collecting I don't know, Bambi, you know, or um we'd have special guests. So there would be like uh former animators, voice actors. I actually met a few. Um I met the uh voices of Mickey and Minnie. The Mickey actually he just passed away recently. Rest and in I peace. have to wonder yeah, rest in peace. And I have to wonder if his voice is it I forgot if Mickey talks or not in this, but I know he talks in the um in uh, in the other one, he goes Alakazam. Yeah, yeah, in the new one, in the
1: remake, we'll yeah, talk yeah. about that one too. It's going to be in the notes, yeah. but we might, who knows, maybe in the future we'll give it its own episode, diving more deep into the development of that one. But yes, yes. But yes. Uh, what I'm assuming you owned this game as a kid because right, right,
0: yeah. So uh, long story short, because my dad collected Disney, he was uh, you know he was the one that got me the Genesis. It included Sonic One. I got it for my, I believe I got it for my birthday or Christmas, 1991. And um, and shortly thereafter, my dad bought Castle of Illusion, and I believe we got it used. We actually bought quite a few used games because the barcode's missing from it. It's like Ooh. chopped off the back. Um, uh, but I did get this, and I got Ghostbusters. So it was pretty much like anything that I recognized, I would pick up. So I wasn't like, oh, let's get the latest Sega titles. But little did I know, I was actually getting a Sega title, a game developed by um, Sega... And, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, luckily for me, it was a fantastic game. I guess the only problem was is that the only other games I owned to compare it to was Sonic. And so when you play this after playing Sonic, it does seem really slow, but it helped that I liked Mickey. So I did play it a lot. Um, Not as much as Quackshot. But, uh, yeah, and so this is, I'm, I'm very happy to say this is a Sega Talk where it's a game I got, like, within the first few years oh, the, the, of it coming out.
1: So what was your opinion on the game? Did you have any like expectations coming in? Like I know sometimes you just pick up a game because of the icon. Like my first time ever playing a Mickey game was on the NES. Uh, Mickey Mousecapade. I used to like, oh. I used to rent it when I was like really young. Cause like I didn't get any consoles, 16 bit consoles right away. So yeah. I would just rent Mousecapade over and over and over. And like my impressions going from that that to this it's like wow this is more like the cartoon this is, looks way way better nobody talks about Mas- mouse copade for i don't know it's not a terrible game but it definitely looks terrible when you look at this game like the animation yeah. and all that way better
0: yeah i i mean i was impressed by it um it was slow but it mm-hmm. looked really uh, it looked really beautiful and, you know, the the animations, the environments. Um, I guess it's just because stuff like Quackshot and, um, uh, what was it, World of Illusion? Yeah, World of Illusion. Yeah. Um, really, like, outshine it. And even Aladdin, things like that. So, very, very quickly, this game did look a little, not dated to me, but simple compared yeah. to the others. And there's a lot, and of,
1: a lot of this in, like, early Genesis games. Like, obviously, this came out a year before the first Sonic game so there's obviously like you when you see an early sega genesis game you could tell it's an early sega genesis game like um like um what's that like the first golden axe i guess actually not really altered beast there you go that's a good one you could tell it's an early sega genesis game compared to uh, golden axe the golden axe games later or Mm streets of rage right like they hit their stride after sonic you could tell
0: yeah, absolutely, and you know I know we're not discussing it too much on this, but the um, uh, Genesis Mini, you can sort the games by release. Oh yeah, and so it's a it's a yeah, and so it's actually a fun kind of way to see the evolution. So if you play the very first title, which I think is Alex, it's it's based on US release, I think, because I know that Space Harrier Two was a launch title in um, Japan, but on the Genesis Mini, it's like the third title in order. So it starts with Alex Kidd in the Enchanted Castle, and then it's like Vector Man or, or something at the very end.
1: Yeah, and you could tell a huge evolution. Like Vector Man used new type of graphics that were kind of like, um, kind of like a Donkey Kong Country they were trying to do. Um, but yeah, then yeah. when you when you go to like Enchanted Castle, you're like, this game does not look that great. I mean, it looks better than an NES game, but the animation and all that isn't up to par to something like Sonic Two or
0: Sonic Three. Absolutely, yeah. Um,
1: So let's talk about the story real quick. Um, It has a very uh, interesting story. And something you're going to start noticing, there's a lot of things that they reuse from Mickey in Sonic. So Sonic is obviously like the mascot of Sega. So they probably were very influenced by Mickey, as you can tell by the gloves. But in Castle of Illusion, the story is that Mickey must travel into the Castle of Illusion to save Minnie Mouse, who was kidnapped by the evil witch named Miserable. Ms. Rabel, I guess you could say. Ms. Rabel, And who wants to steal Mickey's <laughs> Minnie Mouse's youth? I didn't know she was young, but I, I, now we know. Mickey, uh, Mickey <laughs> Mouse talks to the owner of the castle, who tells Mickey he must find the seven gems of the rainbow, <clears throat> Chaos Emeralds, in order to defeat Ms. Rabelle. Um Sega made the story very simple and to the point. While the game was before Sonic the Hedgehog, it has ideas in the games like finding seven items throughout the world. What are your thoughts on the game story and I guess the same idea of the Chaos Emeralds? In this,
0: I mean, uh, are there seven worlds in the game? I'm trying to remember. I think
1: there was five, but you're supposed to five? find seven uh, whatever things. Um, what like is it? keys, right? I guess so. Uh, they call it here the what do they call it? Um, I put him in the, oh seven gems of the rainbow.
0: Right, right. So I'm sevens. You know, I've got to wonder if it's a Japanese thing That's because what I was you have thinking. this cuz 7 is just an auspicious number and even, so you have things like even in folklore and and in pop culture there there's the seven dragon balls, exactly. the seven chaos emeralds. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's got to just be a thing that just comes naturally like how many of something does this character collect? 7 <laughs> you know, and to be honest, it's kind of a great number for video games because you get that even six. so you get that first level, right? I mean, I know it's not levels in this one, but you know, you get the first, second, third going to the the middle section. four, five, six starts to get a little more difficult and then seven it was kind of that final one. And so it's um it's a nice progression. and seven sounds good, doesn't it in a game? How many worlds are there? seven?
1: Yeah, it sounds good, and um, obviously the <laughs> the girlfriend got kidnapped, which was even, I mean, it's a Mario thing too in the platformer, and um, not only that, it's also was an early concept for Sonic, right? He was supposed to have a girlfriend. I'm assuming she would get That's kidnapped. Right. Um, so I'm I'm actually glad they dropped that aspect of it in the um, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. I don't think they needed it um the idea that he was just going after eggman because he was kidnapping uh i guess rodents which is kind of the same if you think about it he kidnapped the princess but over there it's different animals i like the different animals aspect but the story is just fine it's serviceable it doesn't like um step on toes um and plus it's you can look at the cover and it literally says everything you need it's miki scared uh the castle (laughs) of illusion in the back and the witch You know it's the the whole thing, right, by looking at it. So I'm all right with it. So let's get right into development. This has a long development because it's a very important game for Sega. Because, I mean, today kids would be like Mickey Mouse in gaming. That's not a big deal. But back then, Mickey was a huge deal still, in my opinion. I think that Sega's kind of dropped them for Marvel and Star Wars and uh, these remakes they're making. But mm-hmm, yeah. uh, I, I still think he had a lot of clout back then, um, in the early 90s. Uh, before Sega had Sonic the Hedgehog, they needed big names to sell the console. This was where Sega of American President Michael Katz... Is that how you say his last name? Yes. ...jumped into trying to garner names like Michael Jackson and Joe Montana. But one of the big accomplishments was convincing Disney to allow them to use Mickey Mouse's uh, name to make a game, considering that at this time Sega only had a small piece of the video game market. As you know, Disney is quite strict with its copyright, and in 1976, they lobbied Congress to allow them to extend the copyright for Mickey Mouse, which extended the copyright for another 76 years. I, are you sure about that? Because it says right here that wow. it, it goes away. Okay. And then in 1998, they, they got another grant, which made them go all the way to 2023. Uh, wow. before, before we get more into it what is your thoughts on disney extending copyrights for characters like this and do you think the reason we haven't seen many mickey media presence in games well i guess we kind of have an epic mickey right but that was a, that's almost right. been a half a decade though kings pushed is due to copyright ending in 2023 do you think disney will try to extend it further
0: you know it's it's hard to say um i do think they will definitely extend it further And it's a tricky thing because I know there are people that have real strong opinions that Disney should give it up and just let it happen. But I I think at that time when this started, there was no thought to creating a character that would live on and be owned by the same company. You know, it's not like Mickey Mouse's. Yeah, it's not as though... I don't know, like a part of me thinks it's kind of shitty. Like, what if I created a character Like I'd want my family to own him forever. I wouldn't want all of a sudden to be like, "Oh, now he can appear on like anything because he can't sue him." And one thing
1: thing I've heard people talk about is how Disney has made profit off the backs of uh, uh, like IP that's uh, stories that nobody owns, right? Like Snow White, um, right? Yeah, they definitely have. And yeah. they're hypocrites for not allowing it with Mickey. I, I I get that angle, but then again, when you start thinking about it, in like, okay, Sega, how many years would of Sonic been an open? Uh, I what do they call it uh, when they don't have a copyright on it? It's like there's a name for it, right? When the IPs are just uh, whatever, anybody can use it. There's no copyright. Uh, I don't know. Let's just say it's public domain. Public, public domain. domain, right? So let's say so in uh, Sonic is twenty seven years old 28 um yeah we're getting close to the uh well we had the 25th anniversary a few years ago so how long i mean is it okay for sega just to be like oh sorry we can't make sonic games because anybody could make sonic games so now ea has a sonic the hedgehog game like that'd be weird right um how about mario right. how about mario the whole company of nintendo is built on the back of mario imagine right. they anybody can make mario games so now Sega's making Mario games like oh that's gonna be weird. So in a way yes and no I guess this is something we could discuss with everybody I think it's very complicated. Um, I think if you're Nintendo I mean if you're like Disney, yeah mm-hmm. even though their whole company right now is not built on Mickey like honestly if they lose the Mickey Mouse copyright, Disney will survive. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah. And I, its I think there's companies like Nintendo that wouldn't, um, they'll take a huge hit.
0: Right. And it's hard to say even what people would be allowed and wouldn't be allowed to do. Like, is it a question of just using his likeness? Because then like, if you're selling merch with his likeness, like, is that, you know, it's just, there's too many crazy areas there that makes it, I don't know, like you can't make a new Mickey Mouse cartoon. Right. Can you? I guess it you It just would. opens... And it just opens it up to so many weird, crazy things. and We can make a I feel adult, like,
1: adult thing of it, and now it just kind of screws it up for kids, you know what I mean?
0: So. Yeah, and it's, it's a tricky thing, because I like Mickey, and I know Disney's not nowhere near perfect, like, you know, evil, big evil corporation. But, like, at the same time, I don't want that to be the norm, you know? It's just, I don't like, I don't know. It's tricky. It is tricky. I don't want to sound... Like, I don't want to sound like an, an, an asshole, <laughs> but at the same time, like, I, I don't know. I don't like that precedent. I think that's what it is. I don't like the precedent that that sets. The idea because that, Because then it's like... like the, I, the idea that something... The idea that something that someone really worked hard to create and then build a company that has since grown to the size that it has can still lose their greatest asset. Yeah. Over... Yeah. Because of time. And it's like, does that mean that every good idea and every company built off of a good idea is has a expiration date? You know what I mean? And it's also like, saying... That's kind of weird. And it's also saying, like,
1: we're comparing it to, like, these fairy tales that happened, like, 3,000 years ago. Everybody, there was no... Like, <laughs> right. back then, none of these stories actually made money for people. Anybody could have told the story in the streets, right? That They didn't have movies. They didn't have merchandise. They didn't have... People weren't wearing uh, Beauty and the Beast t-shirts back then uh, in the olden days. So it's a def- definitely different. And it's something that's up for, I think, up for discussion. A lot of people try to make it, oh, they're just an evil corporation. I think this is something we need to discuss, especially for uh, future creators. Like if you make your own ca- character uh, in 50 years, should you be allowed not to make money off of it? I mean, I mean or anybody make money off of your creation.
0: It's a very – it's – <sighs> Yeah, you, we could probably do a whole podcast just on that. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's 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 just so hard to even fathom, I guess, the fact that like I, I've seen it done with other things. Like I know there are Three Stooges shorts. There's like four of them that Columbia Pictures does not own, and they're in the public domain. And so you, anyone can like release a DVD of those and slap a picture of the Three Stooges on it, and it's legal. Yeah, but they're limited to just that content. So I assume in the in the case of Mickey, they would just be limited to his likeness. And then, like I said, again, like that opens it up to a whole discussion about well, what what can you get away with with likeness? Like, can you create a theme park? Doesn't that infringe upon Disney owning a theme park and using Mickey as an icon? Um, but going back to the original question, I, I think Disney has always kind of been bad about using Mickey um just, you have to remember like there have been disney animated features for years you know snow white beauty and the beast lion king all those and not once has mickey received his own movie like the closest we came was uh, fantasia and mm-hmm. he was just like one segment of, um of there the were whole other thing. ones yeah there were other ones that um in the war years they actually released these things that were called uh i think they were called like package films or something like that where and like anthology films where you would get like five or four short films and it would amount to an, a feature length. And the reason for this was that so many of their animators and creative talent were going to fight in the war that they only had limited resources. And so like, you know, they had enough time to have guys make a 20 minute movie, but not enough time to make a feature. And because of that, Mickey would appear in shorts like Mickey and the Beanstalk, I think was in theaters, but Like, again, Mickey has never had a theme park ride. Um, They're finally building one for him uh, based on those um, shorts by the, I think, the Dexter's Lab guy. I think it is.
1: Yeah. Why do you think think Mm -hmm. that Mickey's been kind of, like, shunned? Like, I agree with you. Like, I remember as a kid, they had, like, TV shows. They had uh, comics. They had... um, a bunch of merchandise. Uh, he's basically the face of Disneyland, even though he doesn't have his ride. But if you go there, his right. face is everywhere. So why do you think that Disney's just been pulling back and instead of like pimping out four Toy Story movies instead of uh, a a trilogy of a uh, well-written Mickey movies and CGI even?
0: I think it's because they don't know how to how to create a Mickey narrative that is engaging. I think Mickey to a lot of people, is a boring character. He looks cool and, you know, he is a little mischievous, but use Donald. Donald is just funnier. He's a stronger character and they have this huge stable of characters and I honestly think Mickey is kind of boring.
1: <laughs> I, well, I, I disagree, but let me go more into the development and we're going to argue about Mickey, but Michael... I like this. Michael Katz was uh, tasked to show Disney that he wouldn't mistreat the license and that Sega Genesis was viable enough to have a Mickey Mouse game. Michael Katz and Sega of America marketing genius, L. Nielsen, who we had an interview with on our Swingin' Report show, great interview, you guys should go check it out, uh, would have had several meetings with Disney where uh, they laid out their strategy to include Mickey Mouse along other licenses like, this is the weird one, L.A. Dodgers manager Tony Lasorda, boxing champ James Buster Douglas, and Dick Tracy. Um, Sega reached their deal with it and uh, made an advertisement in uh, the first time in 1990 in a pack-in poster that simply called the game Mickey Mouse. Uh, What are your thoughts on Sega using licenses early into the Sega Genesis life? to move units before they had the iconic Sonic the Hedgehog. And what do you think worked well and which ones do you think did not? And I just want to say that a lot of people hated Sega in the the mid-2000s when they used Sega of America was going crazy with licenses. I think they Mm -hmm. did a lot more wrong. (laughs) And I think Sega of uh, early Sega, like I know we used to go like, look guys, back in the early days of Sega, they used licenses. It's fine. But they did a yeah. lot of mistakes and a lot of the they didn't learn from what Sega of America did right here. One of them was using their talent right from Japan to make the games instead of uh, hiring American studios. But what do you think worked well here, and which one do you think like did not work well and licensing wise?
0: Um, I mean, first off, I think it was a really smart move of the marketing team uh, in the Genesis era era to do that. I, I can't remember exactly what Al said in our interview, but I got the general vibe that what they were seeing from Japan was not exciting to them. And it was like, you guys are giving us original IP, but, and I don't want to put words into his mouth, but this is the vibe I got. You're giving us original IP, but none of this stuff is a system seller. Like, do we really have to keep pushing Alex kid? It's not that great. You know, it's not engaging. And so instead you, you pick things that are proven successes. So you pick, Sports stars that are well known, uh, characters like Mickey Mouse. Um, I I think maybe the, the mistake they made with some of them looking forward was like when you bring on someone who could lose, and I think there's even a story about this. They picked someone who lost a match, right? Buster Douglas, was it? Yeah. Yeah, and so it's like when you pick a sports star who is you know could could very well lose it's like betting on a horse um when you pick a celebrity who very well especially in this day and age um and we've seen it with uh, judgment have a scandal a drug scandal or or you know in other cases there might be a sex scandal um actually yeah uh, kevin spacey is in um battlefield is it what's he in
1: Um, he was in one of the Battlefield games, and then he, like, sexually harassed a bunch of dudes.
0: mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a story. So, like, I think it's a mistake to do that. Mickey Mouse is never going to have a scandal like that. He's pure. He's a pure boy. And, um, and we even see that with Sonic, too. Uh, when Sonic, when they ask Izuka about Sonic and they ask these questions, he's like, he'll say something like, Sonic does not ever use the bathroom, you know, like it's like, uh, yeah, he'll just have, and it's like, I mean, yeah, technically he, he doesn't, you know, like he's never said I have to go take a piss and here's my penis. (laughs) You know?
1: Yeah. And it was like you said, it was, uh, Sega needed, I think what it was in the early Genesis era is that like everything was moving so fast. Um, right now is like a weird time in gaming because you could have one game right that lasts like over mm-hmm. a decade and you could just sell that game like um um <clears throat> minecraft it's still a thing yeah um fortnite is still a thing back then it was like the master system was out and like literally the company would turn around and go like we need a, we need another console and then now they have sega right they Sega has a new console and then japanese mm-hmm. developers are like oh shit i don't even know the tools for this like all right, and so they had to like make a game quick because they need games to sell yeah. the console. And one of the things they did was like, yeah, we can't really make big games, so they basically use licenses to uh, before they made their big IPs. I'm pretty sure they had a lot of meetings and were working on Sonic the Hedgehog while they were doing all this. So, yes, it's a good stopgap when you're selling a console. I think when you're a third party, you should be working on having software that you owned. You own and is sellable mm-hmm. the only thing that really made me angry when sega had the license was for marvel and they screwed it up they had a bunch of good japanese developers they could have made great marvel games um like i want to see the yakuza's team's take on a marvel on a captain america game that never happened um yeah so that's sad but <clears throat> i will say that um it worked it it sold consoles before Sonic the Hedgehog. Obviously they stopped doing this when Sonic the Hedgehog was huge, right?
0: Right, right. And this too, this game, um this was our first look at Al Nilsen too. Remember before we interviewed him, this was there's was a video of him showing this off on some like
1: in uh in show. Yeah, it was called uh, I have it right here actually in the notes. It was called uh Computer Chronicles and it, it aired on mm-hmm. December sixth, nineteen ninety. So well, you, I try to look it up, and somebody that put it up on YouTube took it down. So I might look oh for man. I might look for it to add to the video when I edit it. So um, Sega tasked Amiko y- y- uh, Yamamoto to uh, make sure. the new Mickey. I'm pretty sure that's how it says it, but um, to yeah, make yeah. this new Sega Mickey Mouse game, and this is her first game she actually ever worked on, and um, wow. Disney liked her so much that she's actually worked on almost every single game that has Disney in it. So basically the Kingdom Hearts Mickey. games. Um, the Mickey yeah. the Mickey uh, new ones. The Mickey re-release. She even did an interview with Sega for it. So she's had a... She left Disney in 2016. So she's worked at Sega and Disney. I think she left both companies now. But uh, mm-hmm. So she's retired I'm assuming. But she had a huge career with Disney. Especially in the video game sector. So this is her first game, so the fact that she made such a positive impression it really says a lot about this game. Because, I mean, there was also Mousecapade before this, and I'm sure there was other games. Um, so she wanted to bring—she didn't want to, like, focus on making the game hard. She wanted to focus on bringing the world to life in interesting ways. And, uh, because in the early 80s or late 80s and early 90s, there was this big aspect of games having to be hard. I don't know if you knew, I don't know if you kind of had this in your playground when kids would kind of like talk up games that were harder. Like, oh, this game takes this many hours to beat. It's crazy. But the game, if you, if it wasn't hard, would take like 30 minutes, really. But, Mm -hmm. you know, those uh, cart mine levels in um, uh, Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. Uh, um, She focused on quality of representation as a way to stand out. She didn't want to just be a game with Mickey in it. She wanted to include larger elements of the Disney universe that would fit Disney's lore. Using ideas from other Disney classic films are, uh, got included in the game, like the clock tower boss being uh, Willie. is that how you say this? Uh, the giant from the 1947 classic Fun and Fancy Free. miserable is basically two Disney villains, the, one, the queen... The evil queen from Snow White, I didn't know she had a name. And uh, the end, oh yeah, Maleficent. So she was like, in the end, she looked like Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty. And then she was the old witch from Snow White. Um, Growing up, did you notice all these uh, classic references to these movies? I know you grew up with the movies. I Yeah, yeah. I, I grew up with like the mainstream Disney movies. Like my mom used to buy them for me in VHS, but it's like, Sleeping Beauty, Lion King, you know,
0: stuff people Mm. watch.
1: The classics, she wasn't that into, you know. I wish she was, but... Yeah.
0: Yeah, I caught some of them. I mean, a lot of the enemy designs are unique to this game. Um, And Miserable herself, obviously, is from this game. But I did pick up on the fact that she is, like, an amalgamation of Disney, like, evil queens and witches. Which kind of made it confusing, because it's like that's she looks like maleficent right. but it's her name's miserable yeah I, and i didn't
1: know her name when i played it I, I just assumed it was they were the same like i thought like oh i didn't know when i watched those movies that they were the same person <laughs> that's what i came to the conclusion when i was a kid i was like oh so the girl from uh the the, the lady from snow white and the lady from sleeping beauty are the same that's what i came up with
0: right yeah, yeah. and Disney itself has m- so many different witches um, and and evil queens that they do kind of run together. Um, I know in the remake, there's like another witch that appears. It's um, from a Donald Duck short. Oh, really? And also a comic book called Witch Hazel. Oh. So, um, yeah, when you play uh, the remake, she appears in it. So you not only have this like evil old witch, but then you have Maleficent. And then you have, uh, you know, Miserabelle herself. And I think they kind of retconned it, making her more of a, um, like, a shapeshifter. So that's why she resembles them. Um, And a little uh, fun fact here, the voice of Miserabelle in the remake is actually Nika Futterman, who Sega fans might know also as the voice of Styx the Badger. Oh, really? In Sonic Boom. And she plays Asajj Ventress in Star Wars: The Clone Wars. I didn't know. That. And I tried to get an interview with her, and she's impossible to get, to get. I was like, any angle. I was like, I wanted to talk to her because she's in all this stuff I like. And I'm like, well, that's not happening.
1: Um, let me get to development because we're getting late into this, and there's a lot, lot more to talk about because this game has a lot of stuff. Um, Since one of Disney's trademark marks was their fluid and realistic animation, Yamamoto's team, Sega AM7, who did this game, took special attention to the game's animation. They went over tons of Disney films, often frame by frame, to try to recreate the company's iconic style and mimicking as many animation techniques as possible. This meant that all movement required more animation and also rethinking where obstacles were placed. Yamamoto told Game Informer in 2013, We wanted to fully express his body movement, so we added more frames of animation. As a result, his jump ended up being longer than a jump would be in a normal game. So we had to design the levels so that the uh, the distance of his jumps worked. Well, one of Sonic's most iconic moments in the first game was his idle foot tapping. Castle of Illusion did it before Sega's Blue Blur, which was arguably the first game to use idle animations. If you didn't press a button, Mickey would sway his hips back and forth with a large smile across his face. Ooh, <laughs> boy. Um, this also included a, a comedic animation when the player stood too close to the edge, which was later used in Sonic the Hedgehog as well. Uh, L. Nielsen would use the animation as a selling point to the game when he presented it on the, on the Genesis on December 6, 1990 on an episode of Computer Chronicles, which you said it's the first time he went on TV or had a film of him talking? Yeah. Outside of fluid and animation, constant motion was something that the team found out was part of most Disney movies. This meant that the team wanted stages and areas to feel alive, the same way they felt like in Disney movies. This would be a huge challenge for Takashi Yuda and his art team, which Sega Genesis because the Sega Genesis had limited VRAM. And was typically not used to focus on animation, so Yuta to uh, had to get pre- uh, programmers to basically uh, practically rebuild the system from the ground up on how they develop games, so they could get all the animation to fit. That's where they adjusted each character's movement pixel by pixel to get smooth that smooth animation feel. This included backgrounds like clouds and swaying trees. As a kid, do you notice a lot of animation? Uh, a lot of the animation and how it improved compared to the NES, and did you know a lot of animation techniques that were used that were used in Castle of Illusion were later, re- like ideas were later reused for Sonic. Did you notice any of this, or because the way you no. play the games, right? <laughs> yes, yes,
0: yes. yes. Um, no, I always saw uh, that was the first thing that really hit me with the Genesis to begin with when I booted up Sonic One was just how alive the stages felt, and it, it also. Um, of course existed in this as well you look at super mario and you you know you leave the screen idle and hand the controller to someone it might as well be paused like nothing's happening unless a uh, uh enemy walks on screen it just looks so stagnant and when you get into um you know the snes and genesis era they start to do a bit more of that i i
1: I was just thinking like- I was just thinking that right now does Super Mario World even have any idle animations like I'm trying to think and I'm like I was think I was playing it not that long ago on the on the Switch cuz they have the online where you could play uh, Super Nintendo games and yeah, and yeah. I was thinking like the game looks fine the g- the game looks nice the controls are fine I mean I mean I like you know it's plays like a Mario game but like yeah. one thing I noticed is like The animation in Sonic and, and like, these kind of games are a little different. Like, I feel like they put more effort into it. I don't think... I I, I know people are going to hate me on this, but I don't think it has... The animation's fine. I'm not saying it's terrible on Mario, but, like, I don't know. I feel like maybe Sonic had uh, legs up on that area. Um,
0: Yeah. So... Yeah, and I I feel like Nintendo almost, like, went back and tried to remedy this by having the stages almost be too... uh, too alive because they would do things where like the whole stage would dance. Remember like, bah, bah, and all the characters would dance to the music and it's cute and all. Um, yeah. I have no problem with that, but it's just, it's, it's interesting that when Mario is uh, really stagnant, I'm going to say it's super stagnant. And when Mario is animated, it's super animated and it seems like they never just went out of the gate with something that just felt alive And didn't hit you over the head with it, but also didn't feel like you were just looking at a paused screen. Um, I also did catch a lot of the animation techniques. I think you see those especially in later Mickey games, Mm. like Mickey Mania, because he would do things where he would duck and his ears would blur. And if you paused it, you could see those sorts of things. Um, Back at the time, we had the VHS tapes and it was hard to pause... And really see those um, in-betweens, they call them. Yeah. And so really, you get a good animation uh, tutorial when you play the games because you can pause it. You go on the start button and really catch all the little subtle things they do, which is really cool.
1: Um, like I told you, I, I did notice it just because uh, I made I played uh, Mousecapade and that had like no animation, basically. It was by Capcom. Um Mm-hmm. So I noticed it. Um, I didn't really know that the Sonic was the one that took it. I didn't really think about that when I was a kid. Um, so I didn't see that. But I do agree that it had better animation. But um, I think Nintendo focuses more on the gameplay than they do in animation. I think their mm-hmm. their goal is always for the jumps to feel right. Um, the running to feel right. The way you jump on a turtle to feel right. The physics to feel right. Um, I think that... The Mickey game, when I first played it, I was like, oh, I don't know. The controls are kind of weird the way it jumps. And now that I read more about that, they put a lot of animation into it. So they had, they're trying to like basically, like, um, oh, have a lot of animation, but also make it feel good. So it was like they were trying yeah. to do in between. Because I've noticed games like, um, if you look more into game development, the more an- frames of animations, it could f- make the character feel laggy. So I, I, mm. I can see that being a problem. But uh, you want to read the last bit of the of our development here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, Disney actually had a big role in the development of the game, which had contributions from key people not only in Sega Japan, but also input from Disney and Sega America in the West. This even included the game design. This had uh, Disney producer Stephen Butler, who collaborated with Sega of America's senior producer Jim Houter, to ensure that the game remained true to Mickey Mouse's character. So one example of this was that when Yuta was working on the uh, uh, a dragon boss inside a milk bottle in the library stage, he couldn't decide what to use for the body. He sent a licorice. He was sent licorice from Sag of America as a suggestion, and he quickly drew it attached to the treat. And one day he held a long piece of licorice in his mouth and breathed through it and noticed that aroma filled the room. And he was inspired by the effect of the candy and used it as the body of the Dragon Boss. Um, (laughs) And uh, that that Dragon Boss was actually used in some of the key art for the remake. I think it was one of the two or three images that was kind of like digitally painted and used for a lot of the marketing. Yeah. So that was definitely something that stood out to people. Um, Butler and Houter also helped improve certain elements of the gameplay, as told in a Sega 16 interview with Jim. He said Stephen Butler and myself drove the updates, drove uh, the updates to the design and improvements to the gameplay to make it both a game that Disney would approve and to give it some unique gameplay such as the very easy mode so parents could play with their little kids.
1: Another so another, yeah. Sorry, what were you I say? was gonna say I was just gonna read the question. <laughs> um oh, yeah, what yeah, are your ahead. thoughts on early Sega Genesis licensing, working with overseas Japanese developers, but also having feedback in the West by Sega of America and Disney? And this is something we saw with we saw Sonic the Hedgehog. A lot of stuff got vetoed by the West. But I feel like this working relationship, even though it might not work all the time, it actually yeah. really worked surprisingly well for sega at this time like i feel like a lot of the early success was because of this relationship like sonic the hedgehog would have been a totally different thing if uh the west didn't veto some ideas like the fangs or the girl um what are your right. problem well, i mean what's your opinion on this relationship
0: i mean to be honest like i think japanese developers can be very stubborn. As as can American developers, I think, but just think in terms artists, of,
1: people like people that create things, artists,
0: yeah, artists in general can be very stubborn. But I think it's it. I'm glad that there were so many instances where Sega of America could work successfully with Japanese developers, def, despite some of the problems they encountered. Because I really feel like Sega of America were at their peak during the early 90s in terms of knowing how to market create a game that's marketable. Oh yeah. And I think I think at that time, Sega of Japan developers were at their peak of creating great games. but I think, when you look at the other side of it, I think Sega of America developers were kind of not at their best in terms of developing games. But I also think Sega of Japan, marketing people and people trying to sell games were doing a bad job so it's like the best of both worlds were coming together so you had people like deciding sonic shouldn't have fangs or a girlfriend and you had people deciding sonic rolls into a ball and there's a pinball stage and that goes together to create a great game I, I, um what I, f-
1: I find it kind of weird yeah. that like sega japan was so open to hearing like the suggestions from sega west because like right after this when the Saturn was happening, they're like, shut up, we don't care anymore. It's like, what, what, Mm -hmm. why? Like, we created the success. Yeah, I don't know. It
0: it must have been some upper management change. But, um, I do think it's interesting, just reading this, how Sega and Disney, at least Disney's, um, uh, person that was kind of like, representing Disney, working with Sega, wanted to work real hard to make something that Disney would approve of. And what surprises me because of that, is that, What about Capcom? Like nothing against the Capcom games, but they just took Disney characters and slapped them into like a Mega Man style game. There was very little in terms of character or animation. And
1: that's something... Like
0: characters looked very static. That's something
1: I wanted. Like I I haven't really like looked into the Capcom games. I used to play a lot of them um, for the Super Nintendo. Like um, Aladdin is probably one of the ones I played the most. I remember not that long ago I found this like journal entry when I was a kid and the whole freaking journal entries and me talking about the aladdin capcom game it's like oh and i got to this level and it's like what the hell it's like i don't even remember playing this game but anyway i do remember but yeah i do agree with you it i think the aladdin was the better one but there was some games where you're like what what is this this is they just like put this into i mean well it's not the podcast to get into capcom but because i know there's probably some listeners that really like capcom i think capcom in the in the 90s were at their height, in my opinion, on games,
0: but... Oh, yeah, no. I mean, I don't mean, mean to insult the Capcom games. I think they're great, fun games, but when you're looking at them from the perspective of, like, maintaining that Disney style and quality, it's just not there. Oh, you it, know, it definitely you, you isn't,
1: but, like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, I wonder if kids even notice that. I know that developers notice that. Like, um, if you look up, like, I think even the guy that did the Aladdin game for... Um, Capcom said that he likes the Sega Genesis version because of the animation. So, <laughs> I mean, we could disagree or not, but a lot of developers do notice this stuff. Um, so, absolutely, let's talk about the versions of this game. And the first one we're talking about is not really a port of the game; it's a brand new game. But I think marketing-wise, they try to sell it like this is that game for the Game Gear and uh, uh, Master System. The, first, the mm. first Castle of Illusion game was on the Sega Genesis. Sega Sega had released it, on, uh, have released it uh, on multiple platforms, including the 2013 uh, uh, remake. So let's first talk about Land, Land of Illusion starting Mickey Mouse. This version even featured its own story of Mickey falling asleep with a book of fairy tales and wakes up in a strange village. A girl, who looks like Daisy Duck, comes and asks our mouse hero for help stating that the magic crystals had been stolen from the village, which took away the village's happiness and turned it into sadness. Miki decides to help Aww. and goes after the phantom that took the crystals. Uh, this game is the uh, only got a European and Brazilian uh, release on June 1993 and 1994, but got a Japanese, American, and European release on the Game Gear. Uh, did you ever play hmm. the 8-bit Land of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse, and what are your initial thoughts?
0: Um, I have played it. I didn't play it at the time of release, but it was one of those early Game Gear games I picked up when I bought the console. Um, probably in the late 90s when I got it. Yeah. And uh, since then, I have imported uh, Land of Illusion. So you got the Brazilian
1: I... version or the uh, European version?
0: I think it's the European one. I have to remind myself what it looks like, but I'm I'm pretty sure Uh,
1: there was another one they um, did. I have it. There was another one they did just for Brazil, and um, I'm not really going to talk about it. But um, well, I mean, let me talk about Land of Illusions. I think one of the biggest things that this 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 version's missing is uh the charm of the animation from the Genesis version. That's definitely the go-to version in my opinion. In these. Right. There's a, there's, but this feels more like, oh, we're just making a game with Mickey in it without the animation stuff, right? And they they did it fine. I think there's only so much you could do with 8-bit. This would remind me of something they would do on the NES, maybe. And I right. now playing back on it, I kind of like it more than Mousecapade, even though I have more history with that. So I think they did mm-hmm. fine enough. It's not a great game, but like, it's a good enough game for the Genesis. I mean, in Game Gear. I mean... Master System and Game Gear. Right, um,
0: right. But right.
1: I, I don't know if there's anything different. They're the same game, right, for both? I only played the Game Gear version. I didn't play the... Yeah, yeah. The,
0: yeah. Yeah, the Game Gear one's similar. And then, of course, there's the Castle of Illusion for the Master System. Yeah, of course. So it's like... So it's like... I, I don't know why it was necessary to make Land of Illusion when you already yeah. kind of made a... Master System version and you know uh, Sega fans uh, ones who know their master System should know pretty well that just because a game is on Genesis and Master System does not make them the same game. For so sure, for sure. it's like you you did already make two games. I don't I don't know why they needed to make land of illusion um, especially with a title so similar. Uh, I don't know. it seemed like a unnecessary game to make, especially when you're giving it such an odd release.
1: And then Sega would later re-release both Castle of Illusions and Quackshot as an exclusive in Japan uh, in 1998 titled Sega Ages, I Love Mickey Mouse. Uh, as of recording, I, there yes. is only one copy listed on eBay, which they want 100 bucks for. As far as I hmm. know, this is just the Sega Genesis version, right, of both games on Saturn. Yep. Okay. Have you played Sega, uh, the Sega Saturn and Sega Ages re-release? And what are your thoughts? And why do you think they skipped the Western release? Well, I know why they skipped it, but you can tell me. Uh,
0: I mean, I haven't played it. Um, I'd assume when you boot it up, it's like playing the Genesis ones. And I think that's probably why they skipped a Western release. There isn't much more to it than that. And it seems kind of like a weird compilation to just do those two. Right. Um, They did that a lot with Saturn, like games that should have, like, four games in a collection instead was just, like, Power Drift. Ooh. And that's all you get. Yeah, I know. Um, I actually saw I saw Power Drift over the weekend when I was in Philadelphia. How much do they want for at, it? At uh, Class 75. I,
1: um, I don't know yeah. if that's a good price or not, but um, this is probably the bigger one. Sega, with the help of Sega Studios Australia, would go on to finally make a remake of Castle of Illusion's which was released on the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and Microsoft Windows on September 2013. Later, it would hit iOS, Android, (laughs) Windows Phone, remember that? And OS X. This time, the game would use 2.5D graphics and include high-def 3D graphics uh, for the game, but was largely a 2D platform with some 3D bits added in. This game would be uh, basically a brand new game. It's like re-envisioning the game for modern uh, consoles. Feature new layouts, puzzles, enemies, as well as new enhanced boss fights. This game was basically inspired by the original and is mostly its own uh, thing instead of a 1.1 remake uh what are your thoughts on the reimagining instead of just a straight out remake in 3d do you think that worked better for now or do you like i feel like we could just go back and play the old game if we really wanted to so to me i like the idea of the reimagining games so i was pretty happy with this i thought they did a good job what is your thoughts on it
0: i loved it when it came out it was such a surprise to see them put such time and effort into something like this like out of all the games that you're going to do a complete remake of. Yeah. Like you chose this one, which I don't mean in a negative sense, but it's like, you have all of these games you own. Like, why did you go for a licensed one to put all this time and effort in with this new studio? But maybe that was their hope as to like moving forward. Sega Studios Australia would be the guys that would be, you know, remastering, remaking. That was, that that uh, was the
1: idea. And this is something we'll talk about in the next little bit of here. Yeah. But, um, yeah, when it was announced, I was like, "Wait, what? Castle of Illusion?" Out of all the classic Sega games, right? You yeah. went from nineteen nineties like Castle of Illusion. You could have literally just said, "We're making a three ver- uh, a new two D, three D version of Sonic, or new two D, three D version of Golden X, which we they were actually working on before this. Um, so that was surprising. I-, I didn't think that Castle of Illusion was that popular. I don't know how much it actually sold on the on the genesis i guess Mm -hmm. sega really likes the illusion series and so does disney because we'll talk about another game that has uh, illusions in the name but this game had some uh, this game had some interesting history because it was basically the last game developed by sega studios australia before it shut down which led to some developers leaking pitches they had for Sega. one of the pitches was a new golden axe game but one of the developers told us back in 2013 remember this That they basically Mm -hmm. pitched Sega the idea of reimagining all these classic games, but that all these classic games were all part of the same universe. Ideas like how Streets of Rage, Sonic the Hedgehog, and Golden Axe were in the same world, but in different eras. So you might see hints and callbacks to other games in the new series of reimagined titles. Of course, Sega did not go through with this, and the studio was shut down. I think it, it shut down before... Mickey Mouse came out, so like the sales of Mickey Mouse didn't even matter. It was a done mm-hmm. deal. So, what is your, what is your uh, idea? What is your thoughts on the shared Sega verse, or I guess we could call it now, uh, mm-hmm. Sega gaming cinematic, or no, video gaming universe, right? The Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe of yeah. Sega. Yeah, yeah. And why do you think Sega um, said no to this idea?
0: Sega, i don't know why they said you know why i don't know why they said no i think it's why because it
1: was it was 2013 sega it was like a year after binary domain bombed and remember sega back yeah. then did not believe in any japanese franchise like they thought all japanese games and old sega ips were not I, I mean they tried with the jet the dreamcast but all these um they expected really high sales for all these things so they like jet set radio port oh it's gonna sell this much it never did and yeah. I think that was their thing. They're like, it's probably not worth going back and reinvesting in old IPs, which mm-hmm. I think was a huge mistake. And I think that's something that yeah. New Sega from 2015 onward is trying to fix. Um, that's my. Absolutely. That's what I think they said no. But what do you. Uh, yeah. Uh,
0: I think it's a mistake to say no to this. Um, you look at the time that they were doing this, like this idea was being pitched. And Sega was the one making Marvel games. Yeah. So it's like the the franchise that's kind of really showing that a shared universe can be super successful. And you are making their games. And yet when you get the chance to do your own, you say no to it. It's weird. And like there had been games at that period of time where you could have thrown little subtle like nods. Um, I do know, what was their, uh, Shinobi was out. Yeah. Um, All Stars Racing was out. So there were, like, games with these crossovers, but there never was, like, a story mode. Um, The closest was uh, Project Cross Zone, which was a different company making it. So it's like you didn't even... Yeah. And it's like... It's something that... It would have been a, a slow burn. I think you would have had to release two or three games before people started to see this. But I think it would have been a really fun way to tie them all together... And then you do some sort of, like, epic team-up game. Like, All-Stars Racing or
1: something like that.
0: <laughs> some, yeah, but, like, I, I think looking forward, like, Streets of Rage 4, I don't think is going to have any, like, shared Segaverse in it. But it would be very cool if after the credits, you saw, like, a like a portal open or something. And it was, like, the Golden Axe guys. and And, and like, hinting. That's yeah. one of the
1: things I always didn't get with Sega. It's, like you never tie everything together like there's no like oh you're playing like you build all these like classic franchise right like uh, knights or whatever and then you make a team-up game where you kind of advertise everything kind of like this is our big game right uh, sega all-stars racing (laughs) but every time you every time you're looking at the new characters it's like this is Beat from Jet Set Radio. Oh, you didn't even play it? And it shows you the release, right? Like, oh, there's been one on the Xbox Live. And, you, oh, click, go to the store. It's almost like everything's mm-hmm. so separated. So, I don't know. Uh, like, uh, Knights came out. Uh, Knights was in that game. Uh, yeah. uh, Jet Set Radio had a remake. Um, well, not a remake, but an enhanced re-release. So, like, they right. never really capitalize on all that stuff. Like, they never make it feel like one world. I think something like Smash Bros. does that really well for Nintendo, where, like... Fire Emblem was not a thing, and now it's huge because of him being them being in Smash. Um, I feel like right that's happening with Persona because it's in Smash. They know how to advertise these IPs um, better than like I, in their crossover games. Sega kind of like drops the ball, and it's like, well, I guess we'll do a Sonic only game. And it's like, wait, why? Like. This game should have references to all the latest Sonic games. Like it shouldn't just have Wisp. It should also have Mania callbacks, right?
0: Right. Because you're selling. These yeah, games. yeah, and you see that a lot with, like, you were saying with the um, Smash Brothers games. Like in the trailers, they do all this fan service where you see characters interacting that you always wanted to see interact. Sega doesn't do that. And like, and they play off of things that you, you're like, these two characters have always had this element to them. Like one of them likes eating pies and the other one makes pies. So what if we did a scene where one of them was making a pie and the other one was eating the pie? Like, wouldn't that be funny? And, like, you know, that's a weird, weird comparison. But, you know, like, you look at Sega characters and you might think, wow, Beat and Sonic would probably get along. You know? So why, Yeah, you know, like, with the grinding. And so what if you did a a, a, a trailer for one of these team-up games where you showed Sonic grinding and then Beat comes grinding behind him and they do a high-five. Like, just something like that. But, like, these characters, they never really interact. And even when you put them in their same game, they don't feel like they're there together. Yeah,
1: that's true. I agree with that 100%. Uh, let me yeah. get into the last bit of the... Um, Sega announced in September 2016 that the game would be de- delisted from digital shops that happened all the way into 2017 but it came back out of nowhere we never got an answer about why it was delisted and why it came back but i i will say it's a popular tactic for companies to announce games being delisted to get gamers to buy copies of the game and later re-releasing them but considering that this is a licensed game it could have to do with disney maybe wanting to move away from gaming in may 2016 engadget wrote an article titled it's no surprise that disney shut down its gaming division this was around the same time that the company was talking about killing disney infinity a toys to lives game that they supported since 2013 what are your thoughts on the idea of just burning all their gaming ips due to disney not finding success they wanted in gaming uh you've noticed this right remember the i don't know if you collected the infinity stuff But it kind of does seem like it's up your dad's alley or something. I don't know if he got into it.
0: Um, I did buy him the Donald. Uh, I do have some of the Star Wars ones. I actually went to Toys R Us and they had the um, starter pack for like five bucks or something. It was like the game and the pods or the base and the little characters. And it's cool. But like, yeah, Disney, they've always wanted to, they've dabbled in everything. You know, they do TV production, film production. Um, they even talked recently about uh, acquiring Twitter back in 2017, and they decided not to do it because of the headache.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of hassle.
0: Be... Yeah, yeah. And so they wanted to jo- you know own a social media platform. Um, they're getting into streaming recently, so it makes total sense that Disney would have wanted to be a powerhouse in gaming, and they did have their own gaming division. They even acquired... I mean, it's just a sign that when they acquired Lucasfilm... They closed LucasArts. Arts. Yeah. They were like, "We don't want this video game division," that, that, which is a real shame. They really
1: mismanaged, in my opinion, all these things. Like, we're, we're going to talk about Epic Mickey a little bit right now, but like, they have all these studios yeah. with big names, but they produce no hype behind them. Like, and then they license out their IPs. There are huge, like Star Wars is being done by EA and other companies. Shouldn't that be your in-house yeah. studio? Um, Marvel movies is now. I mean, they were done by Sega for a while, and they screwed it all up. And then now they're doing Square Enix, I think, is doing it. Their biggest their biggest oh, okay. game is um, Kingdom Hearts, and that's not even done by them. It's done by Square. Um, so mm-hmm. to me, it's like, why can't you find success? Like, you got to start looking at these other big budget titles that you're licensing your IP to. Like, you could do a Captain America, literally, Batman game. Mm-hmm that would make a lot of money. Yeah. But no, you 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 kind of just dropped the ball. You could you are working on these games, right? Like you're working on Toy Story 4. Really, you couldn't sit down and make a Toy Story 4 game before like give it 4 5 years. You're making you're working on these game these movies so far in advance that you have that much time in advance to know everything about your movies. You know?
0: Yeah, and it's funny too because when they when they do have success, they I mean they kind of capitalize on it like so you were talking about Toy Story Toy Story 3 actually the video game that came was out really good. was fine was
1: good. I liked it I, I actually had fun with it I thought that, you know
0: it had but but yeah the Toy Story 3 game what it had was the toy box Yeah the toy box and that ended up that ended up being Disney Infinity Pretty
1: much yeah that's that was the origins right yeah. that was the best part of the game Yeah right? yeah and uh my opinion I don't like the Toy to live games I think you you're buying all this stuff I understand why people like it But I think they jumped too late. I I will agree that they had the best figures out of all of them that I've seen. And they had the most iconic brands on it. But yeah, like they kind of dropped the ball on that. Um, While Sega had multiple games in the 16 era that were uh, in the Illusion universe, that's a thing, you know, including Land of Illusion, Mm -hmm. Illusion, Legend of Illusions, and tie-ins like Quackshot, the first Illusion game, not tie uh not developed by Sega was Epic Mickey Power of Illusion that came out on the Nintendo 3DS in 2012. Well, this is considered part of the Epic Mickey series. It was released alongside Epic Mickey 2 The Power of Two. It was also touted to, as a tribute to Sega's Illusion games. This game wasn't developed by Sega but Dream Rift and published by Disney Interactive Studios. The game wanted to pay tribute to 2D stages found in the Illusion series and also have 3D stages that felt more like Epic Mickey games. Sadly, the game re- received mixed reviews. On uh, got a Metacritic score of 63 out of 100, and this would be the last Epic Mickey game ever released. Uh, have you played Epic Mickey: Power of Illusion? What are your thoughts on the Di- and Disney trying to pay tribute to Sega series of Mickey games?
0: Uh, yes, I did play it. I picked up the first Epic Mickey game for Wii. It came with like a statue, and wow. it was it was cool. Um, I never got the second one, though. I did like the concept of bringing Oswald, that was the that rabbit. Was cool, in right?
1: like, I like that they finally got him back. Right, I, I think yeah, that
0: was cool, like but... that's kind of like the equivalent of like Sonic making a game and like that rabbit. The rabbit, is yeah. In it.
1: Oh my god, don't can you? Oh man, don't. Sonic Team, are you listening, dude? I know. Make a game with uh, the rabbit. I know. The rabbit's a character. That'd be awesome, dude. <laughs> I
0: know. Um, and so I did pick this up. I got it. I got it pretty cheap, actually. I think it dipped in price pretty it quickly. Did, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a cute game. It's just really short and small. Mm. Like you're playing it, and you play it for like a half hour, and you're like, "Am I halfway done? You know, like that's kind of weird. Um, did it
1: have? I haven't played it. I might pick it up if I see it used, but like. Does it's it actually well have, worth picking up used. Yeah. Does it have callbacks to Illusion, or is it just they use the name and they're like, come on, guys? You?
0: No, no, there are callbacks. Um, obviously, Miserable's in oh, it. Oh, really? Um, yeah, Miserable's in it, and there are some sound effects they lifted. Like, I think the butt bounce sound effect, like that... Doing, doing, oh, really? Whatever that is, that twinkly sound. I think that's in it. I'll have to replay it, but, you know, there there is some love there. It's just the question is, like, Did you really need to mash together Epic Mickey and this? Why didn't you just make Power of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse, which I think would have probably gone over a bit better and put more time and effort into it and maybe even hire Sega.
1: You know, it's just,
0: it, it seems kind of funny that you are hiring an external company but you didn't use Sega, and I think they kind of remedied that with um, the, the Castle of Illusion. Yeah, the the re-release, the remake. Um, but it's it's a it's a cute game. I think there is a lot of love for the Illusion titles in it. It's just a very short game, and some of the gimmicks, like I think you like use summons. You summon uh, like Disney characters, which is cool. And to do that, you like trace their shape.
1: Oh, okay. And
0: it's one of those things, yeah. And it's like it's super simple to do, but after a while, you're like, do I really need to trace like the Lion King? Like, I just make him appear. You know, it's like I only
1: played the first (laughs) Epic Mickey game, and if I remember correctly, it was a lot about painting, right? That's what it was, right? You're painting the world from black and white to color. Is that what the first one? Right. And that's the gimmick where I'm like, I. Kind of when I put it in, I was expecting it just to be a platformer game, like the old games. So I'm like, wait, what's mm. all, what's all these gimmicks? Oh, it's a Wii. You got to use all the gimmicks. And that's one of my pet peeves right. when it comes to like, uh, those era Nintendo games where like every developer thinks they had to use the gimmick to sell the game to the, to customers. But in my opinion, I'm like, you right. could have just made a, made a well-designed bare basic game. And I would have probably had more fun. Like I think that's why I enjoyed that Toy Story 3 game more. Like the toy box was a new idea at the time and it actually worked out well and they weren't trying to do too many gimmicks that I remember from it. So so hmm. now that we know this, do you do you think there's an actual future for the Illusion franchise or do you think Sega's done with this and Disney is done with gaming in general and Mickey Mouse is a a public domain maybe in the future?
0: Um, I, I don't think it's the end. I think if they do want to bring it back, do a brand new Illusion title. Um, keep it strictly digital. Uh, maybe go back to that 2D. Capitalize off of the whole um, Sonic Mania, but maybe have it be hand-drawn. I think that could look really cool. And maybe do a bundle release. like We're seeing uh, coming up in a few months, um, Aladdin and Lion King are getting a combo pack release. That's going to include the genesis versions but without like the sega title another or, weird another you know, weird
1: release right we're like wait what didn't say yeah yes
0: yeah. well like virgin interactive okay, them, okay. they right? but like them. they
1: who published them
0: right but they <sighs> disney interactive right didn't disney okay do so it?
1: it's their game so no sega references there i didn't know that they didn't
0: Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but but the Aladdin one was exclusive to Genesis, so that's the weird thing. Because you're like, did Sega money hat them, or was it some sort of Capcom deal where Capcom's like, no, 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 we get we get a certain amount of games, and we want Aladdin, so you can't you can't port that. Um, um, yeah,
1: there was a lot. It's but, co- it's crazy that there was a lot of good tie in games back in the mm-hmm. day with Disney on Genesis and Super Nintendo. I I think that's like minimizing now and maybe I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing but like I think more companies are more like into making their own IPs but like back then I remember some of the best games I played were like licensed games right like I remember Toy Story blowing my mind that it could run on the Sega Genesis for example um so it's kind of weird but um uh, any you want to read the well this is the end of the episode and this is usually the part where we read your guys's comments on your history with the game and I know we have a couple from yes. Patreon. Do you want to read them?
0: I'd love to. So, uh, yeah, if you support us on Patreon at any level, you get question and comment priority. And Sega Talk. right now, you know, we are only pulling comments from Patreon. We're not doing Twitter, not doing YouTube, so you get your comments read. We have Brian Truong... He says about Castle of Illusion, a true classic, one of my earlier games on the Genesis. As a child, I was mesmerized by the colorful graphics, smooth animation, and lovely music. While the gameplay was simple, it was fun and provided a decent enough challenge. Still enjoy it to this day and glad to see it put on the mini. Daniel Andres says, I remember first seeing the remake of this game for the PS3. I think I still have the demo and I remember really liking it. Just a couple of years ago I got the Genesis version and I thought it was pretty difficult at first. I didn't fully grasp the strange double jump yes. oh, yeah that you had to do to stomp on enemies, but once I got a hang of it, it wasn't so bad. Not a bad game overall. And it's well. kind of
1: funny that they <laughs> talked about how the game wasn't hard for like olden standards, but like people are not like fully grasping it now. It kind of yeah. really shows you right. Um, thank mm-hmm. you guys for listening. If you guys like this, subscribe, support us on Patreon. We'll catch you guys on the next episode. And if you guys have any suggestions, we can reach us on Twitter, or you can, no, just reach us on Twitter. It's the easiest, right? And, yeah. goodbye. Bye. Done and done.
0: Have a, ma- have a magical day. Let's see. Oh, I gotta stop it.